Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. Pastor James is fired up and ready to preach. I hope you enjoy this sermon. We are concluding our Obedience is Better series, and we'll be starting up a new series uh, for the next few weeks coming through Easter, The Hands of Jesus. So be prepared for that next Sunday. In the Old Testament, all the blessings of the promised land were conditional upon Israel's obedience. And as long as they obeyed, they would be able to remain in the land. In the New Testament, obedience is how we love God. It's how we show our love for the Lord. And when we speak of God's obedience to his commands, we mean all of the Lord's commands. Do not murder and do not worry, which is easier. Do not steal, do not be afraid, do not lie and do not be anxious. Obedience is for our benefit and our blessing. Not just the big commandments, but the little ones as well. And the Lord does not want us to live in worry or fear or anxiety or dread or any of those things. And obedience is what will help calm those fears. When we obey, yes, they are, there are benefits, there are blessings. But that's not our motivation for, for obedience. Our, our motivation for obeying the Lord is because we love the Lord. That's how we show our love for God is by walking in his steps and obeying his commandments. We don't obey just to be blessed, but the blessings are there. And so we, we're here in our story with King Saul and his army were to completely destroy the Amalekites and not keep anything for themselves. But instead, Saul and the soldiers did keep the best of the animals and spared Agag, the king of the Amalekites. In so doing, Saul had disobeyed the direct command of the Lord by taking the best for themselves. And at first, he would not even admit he disobeyed, even though you could hear the sheep and the cattle. He kept trust, trying to justify his disobedience. I, I did it for sacrificial reasons. I did it because I was afraid. And he claims he kept those animals for the Lord. And this prompted Saul to declare those famous words, obedience is better than sacrifice. Finally, finally, Saul is about to admit that he sinned. He wasn't willing to admit it until he's actually cornered. And we pick up the story at 1 Samuel 15, verse 25. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people, and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. And as Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught the hem of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. And Saul replied, I've sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. And then Samuel said, bring me Agag, king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him confidently thinking, surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, as your, son, as your sword has made women childless, so will your mother be childless among women. And Samuel put Agag to death before the Lord at Gilgal. And then Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gibeah of Saul. And until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him. And the Lord was grieved 
that he had made King Saul king over Israel. As we see, Saul had a real struggle with obedience. And so let's go over the last two messages quickly, our points. Number one, partial obedience to God's specific instructions is disobedience. Incomplete obedience is really disobedience. Another source of disobedience, number two, is subjective interpretation of God's objective commands. God gave a clear command to Saul, but he interpreted it for himself and he did it his own way. I mean, no, we're not trying to interpret or twist God's commands, we're just to do it. Another symptom of disobedience is number three, an overestimation of our own importance. Saul built a monument for himself and God considers arrogance as serious a sin as idolatry. Another evidence of disobedience is number four, an unwillingness to take personal responsibility. We have to own our mistakes, confess our sin before we can be free. If we refuse to take that responsibility, it'll bring us into disobedience. Another impetus of, of disobedience is number five, blaming others for our mistakes. All the way from Adam and Eve to today, blame shifting is a sign of disobedience. Another catalyst for disobedience is number six, Fear of what others may think, say, or do. When we are worried about what others will think about us, it's a snare. And it traps us and will enslave us. Obedience will help us overcome the fear of man. And this is where we left off. Another factor that will lead to disobedience is number seven. Outright rebellion against God. The prophet Samuel finally called Saul's action what it was, rebellion. It wasn't just disobedience, it was rebellion. And Samuel equated rebellion with the sin of divination. Now that's not a word we hear much today, so let's define it. Divination included witchcraft, spiritism, worship of demons, and even human sacrifice was all wrapped up in that. And so God sternly warned Israel against such things as human sacrifice. Look at Deuteronomy 18, verse 10. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. And so we see how God sees rebellion. He equates it with divination. And God had warned Israel multiple times the danger of going into the promised land was that they would not drive out the people all the way and the people would have influence in the, on them. And they would begin to practice what was going on. And that's what was going on in Canaan. They were sacrificing children to Molech and Baal, these false gods. But the people of Israel didn't listen. And they ended up doing the very thing God told them not to. Jeremiah 32, verse 30. The people of Israel and Judah have done nothing but evil in my sight from their youth, God said. Indeed, the people of Israel have done nothing but provoke me. With what their hands have made, declares the Lord. Drop down to verse 35. They built high places for Baal in the valley of Ben-Hinnon. 
to sacrifice their sons and daughters to Molech, though I never commanded, nor did it enter enter my mind that they should do such a detestable thing and so make Judah sin. You know, I believe we're guilty of the same thing in our nation. I believe abortion is a form of modern-day child sacrifice, sometimes for convenience, no matter what the, the reason is for, how many know it's still wrong? Sacrificing children was so detestable to God. It was as, it was as if he had never even dreamed of such thing. He's like, I cannot believe you've done such evil. And we, one of the worst offenders was a king of Judah named Manasseh. Let's look at King Manasseh in 2 Chronicles 33 verses 1 and 2. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. He did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. Drop down to verse 6. He sacrificed his sons in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnon, practiced sorcery, divination, and witchcraft and consulted mediums and spirits. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking him to anger. The reason God brought judgment against these nations in Canaan was the terrible practices like child sacrifice, and yet Israel followed in the same ways, which is why they were driven out of the promised land as well. Now we need to realize, as evil as divination is, as evil as child sacrifice and sorcery and all of those things, God places rebellion in the same camp. Wow. That's pretty heavy. We need to realize that rebellion is serious with God when we rebel against God, when we have that defiance, that defiant attitude that I'm going to do what I want, it's my life, I'm I'm going to do my desires and not God's. And that was Saul. He was rebellious. He had been told what to do but he's going to do it his way. And because he rejected the word of the Lord, so God rejected Saul as king. He would soon be removed as king. And when we reject the word of the Lord, how many know the word of the Lord stands true today? No matter what's going on in this world, we have this anchor and it's the Bible. And the Bible is truth. But when we reject God's truth, we are acting in rebellion. And that is serious to God as satanic worship. Rebellion has no place in the heart of any believer. And so when we reject God's word, we reject the Lord. Another indicator of disobedience is number eight, qualified and conditional repentance. Saul's repentance wasn't sincere and complete. I mean, it took him long enough to finally admit it, And even when he finally admitted it, he qualified it. He wants to hurry up and get this over with. Hurry up and forgive me so I can go back to the people. Hurry up, let's do this. I want to say sorry and then come back with me to the people. He just wants to get it over with so he can go back to being king. Saul simply wanted to move on from repentance and not take responsibility. For 16 or 17 years... Jolene and I pastored in the little town of Ojai, California, near Ventura. And one of the benefits is pastors could play free on Mondays at the Ojai Valley Inn and Country Club. 
Oh my goodness. Pastors could play free. So I took advantage of that, bless God. But they always knew who the pastors were because they were too cheap to rent a cart. You know, if you're going to pay $150 for a green fee, you might as well get a cart. But when you're getting golf for free, I'm going to save every dime I can. And so there I was golfing one day with a friend, one of, uh, the youth pastor of our church. And we, just beyond hole number nine, you'd come into the number nine hole and it would come in to where just beyond it was a restaurant, an outdoor restaurant. And I just happened one day to hit my ball into the sand trap in front of the green where the restaurant was behind it. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and so I'm, I, and it was like a pot bunker. I mean, it was a deep bunker, had a high wall in front of it. And so I'm nervous. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I got to hit this ball out of the sand trap. I got to stay focused. I got to keep my head down. I was so nervous. And you know, if, if you don't know, if you're in the sand, you're supposed to swing hard and blast the ball out of the sand. You're supposed to take about an inch of sand with the ball. And if you do, you blast it out and it doesn't go very far. So I was thinking, oh, I've got to blast the ball. I've got to blast the ball. And so I swang and instead of blasting the ball, I picked it off that sand and launched it right into that restaurant. <laughs> and I yelled, four! People are diving for cover. That ball is ricocheting through the restaurant. I just picked up my bag and moved on. <laughs> I just left the ball for anyone who wanted to have it. I just felt led I needed to move on and not deal with it. And that was Saul. He just, he didn't want to deal with this. Let's just, can we just move on? Okay, I disobeyed. Can we just move on? He doesn't want to have to dwell on what he's done. He just wants this all to go away. Let's pretend it never happened. In the Believer's Bible Commentary, it said Saul was constantly redefining the Lord's commands, doing what seemed best to him rather than what God said was best. And he made a show of repentance and pleaded with Saul not to, Samuel not to abandon him. Saul was accustomed to taking matters into his own hands. And he was also making a show of repentance and remorse. Qualified and conditional repentance is a sign of disobedience. And repentance is sometimes a process that can't be rushed along. Sometimes we, we certainly the minute we ask for forgiveness, God forgives us immediately. Instantly. Isn't that amazing? When we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us instantly when we ask God. But at the same time, it's a process. It can be a, a, a time of the Lord bringing discipline into our life. Because we may have sinned and God certainly has forgiven us, but how many of you know he may still discipline us? And that's another symptom of disobedience, number nine, resistance to the discipline of the Lord. Saul didn't want any discipline. He just wanted to move on. I, I want to ask for forgiveness but I don't want any discipline. He, and at first Samuel refused to go back with Saul because he knew Saul wasn't genuine. He knew Saul wasn't being sincere. And so to prove it, when Samuel turns to leave, Saul grabs the hem of his robe and tears it. And by grabbing hold of the prophet of God in such a defiant manner, he proved the lack of his sincere repentance. 
he, he reacted violently to what God had said. And as a result, Samuel said, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and given it to one of your neighbors, to one who is better than you. Wow, that had to be hard to hear. The prophet's head to Saul, this, your kingdom has been torn from you and it's for someone better. And no wonder Saul hated David because he was constantly reminded of the prophecy of Samuel that David would take the throne and not Saul's descendants. What meant most to Saul was being king, and he wasn't going to let that be taken from him, even though he found himself working against God. Sometimes the Lord disciplines us for our sin. He forgives us, but sometimes there is discipline that comes along with it as well. And if we resist that discipline, then it can lead to rebellion and disobedience. God brings consequences into our life because he cares. Because he's a good father, right? Look at Hebrews 12, verses 5 and 6. And have you forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons? My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. The Lord disciplines us always for our good. Always. He never disciplines us randomly, it's for a purpose. And it's always a good purpose. It's, it's good for us. You know those things your parents used to make you eat that were good for you, but certainly didn't taste good? That, for me, as you know, is anybody remember what's beets? All right. There's one more. Stewed tomatoes. Oh, I gagged those things down at every meal. Every time there were beets. Oh, but my, my mom and dad would say, it's good for you. I don't care. Sometimes that's what happens with the Lord. You know, it's, it's amazing what we didn't know as we were growing up. As I grew up, we always had a canister of bacon fat on the stove. Anybody remember with, with me? You cooked everything in that bacon fat. Pancakes, chicken, it didn't matter. You had a canister of bacon fat, bacon fat on the stove. But you know what? Bless God, it made everything taste good. However, we learned somewhere along the way that cooking everything in bacon fat wasn't good for you. It sure tasted good. We may die young, but our taste buds would die happy, bless God. <laughs> now everything is fat-free and sugar-free and gluten-free and taste-free. <laughs> I hate the modern food. It's, give me bacon fat, bless God. God only gives us what is good and what is good for us. And sometimes his discipline is good for us. Saul finally reveals his real purpose. See, see he wanted Samuel to come back with him. He kept saying, I, I want to go worship God. Come worship God with me. Please come with me. Come with me back to the people. But it's not because he wants to worship God as he claimed. It's because he wants to look good before the people. 
As long as we want to look good before people, we probably won't look good before God. It's all about who we want to impress. Do we want to impress people? Do we want to keep up with the Joneses? I apologize if anybody's named Jones in here. It don't mean anything bad. It's just a saying. Or do we want to honor God? Do we want to be pleasing in his sight? Because often we can't be pleasing in his sight and please other people at the same time. And so Saul didn't want to be disciplined. He just wanted to be forgiven. And Saul is more concerned about honoring himself than honoring God before the people. He's more concerned about saving face than falling on his face in worship before God. He's more concerned about his own reputation than God's reputation. And when we place our personal reputation above honoring the Lord, we reveal a root of disobedience. Number 10. Another root of disobedience is a failure to finish the task. It was left to Samuel to finish the job God had called Saul to do. Saul had spared King Agag when God had said not to. And so Samuel had to put him to death instead of Saul. And when we're unwilling to fulfill the command and call of God on our lives, we have disobedience in our hearts. Sometimes we start well, but do we finish well? You look through the Bible, so many of the people in the Bible started good. King Saul was one of them. He started out good. He prophesied, but he didn't finish well. The, the desire for us should be not that we just start well. I mean, God wants us to finish well. So we can hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Saul would not finish well. In fact, he would seek a witch to raise up Samuel from the dead. He would go that far into satanic realms. Saul would go that far. Every Christian has a calling and a purpose and a mission. Every one of you has a place to serve in God's kingdom. Every one of you have spiritual gifts. And so whether it's singing in the choir, loved having a choir this morning, whether it's singing in the choir or being an usher or playing on the worship team or being a greeter or working for our security, there are places where you can serve. And every Christian has a calling. You have a calling. Now, it may not be to stand up here and tell stupid stories like I do, but it is a calling that is just as valuable nonetheless. And the Bible says those ministries that nobody sees are the most vital in the church. It's not just the public ministries, the spotlight ministries. It's those that are in intercessory prayer. It's those that are working behind the scenes. We could not put on a Sunday morning without a, a team of volunteers. And that's your mission. That's your calling. And I challenge you, finish well. We may start well, but we got to finish well. It's important to do what God told us to do. Even if we told God no at one time, how many know his gifts and calling are irrevocable? And even if we walked away from our calling, it's still waiting for us. It's more important to do 
what God's told us to do. Look at Matthew 21, verse 28. Jesus talks about this very thing in a parable. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Go, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later, he changed his mind and went. Verse 30. Then the father went to the other son and said to him the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what the father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to, to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Wow, what a powerful statement. What Jesus is saying. You know what? It doesn't matter what your past was. It doesn't matter what sin you've committed in the past. How many of you know if you just come to Jesus, he will forgive and he'll place a calling on our life? And Jesus was telling the Pharisees, you've totally missed it. You said you would go work in God's kingdom and then you didn't. In fact, you worked against it. But these prostitutes and these criminals, these that were ahead of you, they said no to the Lord at first, but now they've said yes. And God is using them for his kingdom and his glory. Maybe we said no to God in the past. Maybe we walked away from him. Maybe we still haven't done what he told us to do. If so, let's do it. We all have a call on our lives. Are we fulfilling it? We should not say someone else will do it. Saul left it up to Samuel to finish the task. The Bible says, if we've put our hand to the plow and look back, we're not worthy. We've got to keep our hand on that plow. Keep moving forward. Satan will keep trying to drag you into your past. He'll keep trying to rub your face in your sin. But if you've repented and you're forgiven and free, finally, point 11. I don't think I've ever had an 11-point sermon in my life, so you're very fortunate. I don't like odd numbers, so I you know, usually round it up to 12 or down to 10. But I couldn't do it. I tried. Number 11, when we disobey, we grieve the heart of God. This is what's most important about obedience. We bless the heart of God when we obey. But when we live in disobedience, we grieve God. Verse 20, it says, God was grieved that he made Saul king. Verse 29 says, he who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind. And yet in verses 11 and 35, it says the Lord was grieved that he had made Saul king. So if God doesn't change his mind, why is he grieved? Is this a contradiction? Is, did God make a mistake? Didn't God know Saul would do this before he was even made king? I love what it says in the Life Application Bible. When God said he was sorry that he made Saul king, was he saying he had made a mistake? God's comment was an expression of sorrow, not an admission of error. 
You know, God feels. He feels joy. He feels sorrow. An omniscient God cannot make a mistake. Therefore, God did not change his mind. He did, however, change his attitude towards Saul when Saul changed. And Saul's heart no longer belonged to God, but to his own interests. And so when we act in disobedience, we grieve the heart of God. And we can actually grieve the Holy Spirit. Look at Ephesians 4.29. Here's do not. That's another commandment. Here's some more commandments. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Wow, that's a heavy commandment. Don't let unwholesome, critical speech come out of your mouth, but only what builds people up. How many know God wants us to say things that build people up and encourage them? That's a commandment. Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Here's some more commandments. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. How many know all of those things can cause physical disharm to our bodies? Rage, unresolved bitterness, it actually hurts us. And so God's commandments, again, benefit us. They bless us if we'll only do what God said. But more than any other reason, the reason we want to obey is because we love God and we don't want to grieve his spirit. And we all fail. We all sin every day. We fall short of his glory. Why it's so important that we go and ask God's forgiveness with a sincere heart. He will forgive us and he will be pleased when we do. Would you bow your heads with me today? Lord, as your church, we want to make a covenant with you today. Help us to walk in obedience. Lord, help us to finish the task. Lord, I pray that you would help us not resist the discipline of, of the Lord. God, we want to please your heart. God, thank you for the blessings of obedience. Thank you for the benefits, but more than anything, we want to bless you. And so, Father, help us, because in our flesh, we can't do it on our own. We need your power, your strength, but we are amazed at your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Our worship service begins at 1030 every Sunday. You can join us in person or online. We broadcast live on both Facebook and YouTube. We would love for you to join us and be our guest this Sunday. Our address is 4901 California Avenue, Bakersfield, California. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.